How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Guys, it is our favorite night of the week, as always. Welcome to Tuesday night. Welcome to How About That Cigar Live, brought to you from the Drew Estate Cigar Studios here at Sody's Cigars near Stillwater, Minnesota. We want to thank you for joining us for episode number... 43. 43 of How About That Cigar Live. Uh, Thanks again, guys, as always, if you're watching live on Facebook. Take two seconds and share us out to your favorite Facebook cigar groups. We really appreciate it. And for the last couple of weeks, we are simultaneously streaming to YouTube. So if you guys are watching on YouTube as well, we really appreciate that. And for those of you listening after the fact on the audio podcast, thank you so much, as always, for listening to us on your favorite audio podcast platform. Take just a moment, if you would, subscribe to the podcast and give us a nice, fat five-star rating. We appreciate that. And as always, like we said, brought to you from the Drew Estate Cigar Studios, Drew Estate announces the reopening of the Cigar Safari Program, the ultimate experiential cigar tour to Esteli, Nicaragua. Since 2008, Drew Estate has been the industry leader in cigar tourism through their Cigar Safari Program. Cigar Safari presents an opportunity for consumers and retailers to take a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Drew Estate's Nicaraguan Cigar Factory and explore the eco-tourism of Nicaragua. At La Grande Fabrica Drew Estate, guests learn the entire process of creation from seed to cigar, including the magic experience of blending their own cigars. While visiting Subculture Studios, attendees will also have Drew Estate's very own art team custom paint an item of their choosing. The experience is truly unforgettable. And unique among cigar manufacturers. For more info, please visit CigarSafari.com. So, guys, once again, episode 43 of How About That Cigar Live. We have a great live guest coming up here in just a minute, but we want to talk Mm -hmm. about some current events. And I sadly have to talk about a current event, and that is my beloved Green Bay Packers getting absolutely, utterly embarrassed by the San Francisco 49ers. But we kind of knew. We kind of, I kind of had a feeling you know, that it was going to go about that way, and it went that way. So, you know, San Francisco they, is just that good. They, they are phenomenal, and I'm excited for the as as sad Dude. as I am that my team's not in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a very exciting game to watch. This particular Super Bowl uh, is one that I'm, you know, because I've since I've been alive, I've never had a, a real dog in the fight, but. Um, I think this is the Super Bowl I've been most excited to see. I mean, two juggernauts, yeah, actual juggernauts, and uh, you know, to watch the internet explode on both sides has been just awesome to watch. The internet does that; they tend the internet tends Do to they? explode on things, which we, we will talk about as, oh, this, we as the show yeah, goes on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was fun to watch. But the good thing is, you know, the Super Bowl is coming up. We get to watch that and have yeah. you know have a bunch of wings and mm. whatever you have during your Super Bowl parties, and then haggis, 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 <laughs> absolutely blood sausage, yeah, and, and then. Uh, then we get to uh, so twenty two days from today, pitchers and catchers start to report for spring training. Boom! I love that. So I baseball, baseball is right around the corner, guys. So if you're a baseball fan, yep. you know be uh, be counting those days in your calendar. Uh, our our beloved Minnesota Wild, dead last, <laughs> dead last. And a so, 500 team. And they're a game over 500, actually. Yeah. They're I a know. game over 500, but still in, in the, in the, uh, the Western Conference, we're, we're dead last. What yeah. are you going to do? What I mean, you, yeah. 
but it's uh, you know it's it's been fun to watch them actually improve steadily, and hopefully I don't know hopefully they can they can turn that into something uh, moving forward. But for me, I'm looking forward to it's a rebuilding year. A rebuilding, <laughs> I love that phrase. It's a rebuilding year. Yeah, that's there's a lot of rebuilding years uh, going are. on. But looking forward very much to baseball coming up, and uh, uh, hopefully the Twins can keep last year's momentum going. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So, um, guys, we are going to bring in our special guest. And as always, every week, our special guest segment is brought to you by Corona Cigar Company and Mm -hmm. CoronaCigar.com. They are the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Mm -hmm. Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors and cigar accessories Mm -hmm. at the absolute lowest possible price. And you will also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American Mm -hmm. president, founder of Corona Cigar Company, Mr. Jeff Borshowitz, believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and coronacigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of that, please visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. So, guys, this past week, week and a half, uh, there's been a lot of things going on in the cigar world related to the organization uh, that our guest comes from. And we want to bring him in right now from the Premium Cigar Association, the executive director Mr. Scott Pierce. Scott, welcome to How About That Cigar Live. Boom. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. We we know that it's been a whirlwind of a of a 10 days for you, and, and it's been there's been a lot going on. Why and, whatever do you mean? I know, exactly. But we really we <laughs> yeah. really appreciate you giving giving us and our viewers and our listeners some of your time tonight. Um, because we know uh time can Absolutely. you know time can be limited sometimes and we we appreciate you letting us kind of pick your brain and find out uh what's going on sure yeah no i uh, appreciate the opportunity so thank you absolutely so so scott as as we talked about before we went live how about that cigar is we're all about consumer education we want consumers to know as much as they can not just about the cigars that we smoke and enjoy but also about the culture and and sometimes we also have to even though it's maybe not the most pleasant of subjects sometimes we do have to learn about the politics and the um you know the legislative stuff that goes on behind the scenes yeah um it's a free so, country there's no politics i know there's free country there's free no politics mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. that's been your experience right scott Absolutely. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Show's good show. over. Good Thanks. show. Thanks, guys. <laughs> good night. Thanks for having me. This was wonderful. <laughs> so give uh, for our viewers, you know, because PCA is not necessarily a directly consumer geared organization. So for the consumers who watch this show and listen to the show, give everybody an idea about what the PCA PCA is um, the origins of the organization and why consumers should care about the PCA. Absolutely. Uh, so just real brief sort of Cliff Notes version, founded in 1933 as the Retail Tobacco Dealers of America is how it started. Uh, the primary purpose of looking after sort of the industry, tax issues, um, we've got minutes going all the way back to the 1930s where really it, it kind of covers the same thing as far as tax issues and, and state government issues. 
uh, but also really was founded as a means for manufacturers and producers of fine premium cigars and pipe, tobacco and pipes to be able to get together with retailers who would sell these, hence the tobacco dealers uh, of the name, would get together uh, so that they could look at product, they can network, they can get together, find out which products they were going to buy and therefore come into their stores and sell. And so for roughly 88 years, it's been primarily about bringing those two groups together. Uh, uh, it changed in 2007 to the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association, primarily to get word of the word tobacco and dealers out of the name. Uh, obviously, the winds of politics changed significantly in 2007. Uh, we had the Tobacco Control Act that it came up, uh, uh, out a little bit later, uh, which moved regulation of tobacco from Congress over fully with the FDA, who had complete oversight of all tobacco products at that point. Okay. So they thought it was important to to transition tobacco and dealers out of the name because at that point tobacco became synonymous with the general public uh, with cigarettes and, and all the kind of things that big tobacco had done. And then recently, just last year, we uh, decided to rebrand again to Premium Cigar Association to more fully align with the mission of the organization and what we're really trying to do uh, politically wise and advocacy wise. Uh, so we are still very much focused uh, even more so now on all lobbying and advocacy issues uh, at all levels, federal, all the way down to even local municipalities. So you talk about things like cigar taxes, smoking bans, uh, a number of different issues that come up with the way their products or, are sold, tax issues, employment issues, et cetera. Uh, we're really on top of all of those. And then we also do have the big trade show that happens every year. So the consumers really uh, probably know of the trade show. I think the more the kind of average consumer may not, but the more avid ones definitely do. Mm -hmm. It's where the vast majority of the companies release their new products for the year. Uh, big, big event, big trade show booths. I mean, it's a typical show in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but the other part, again, going back to the advocacy, uh, we have started to reach out more and more over the past few years to the consumers to engage them, particularly in our state initiatives and trying to get them involved at grassroots levels. Because when we can involve consumers along with our store owners, it has a great multiplier effect in terms of us being able to go to state representatives and policymakers uh, it, for our voice. And it, it amplifies our voice in that way. And yeah. so that's kind of why we really ask consumers to get involved. We created a pretty straightforward website for consumer engagement called cigaraction.org. Uh, so if they just take two minutes, it's a free way for them to get involved and then kind of stay connected to us and kind of what we're doing in ways that they can help the industry stave off some of these burdensome overreaches that we're uh, working against. Okay. Um, and Scott, give give us an idea of the, the the long and winding strange road that brought you to the position of being the the executive director of the organization. Absolutely. Yeah. So for roughly 20 years or so, I've been in association management. Uh, most recently, I uh, was a director of marketing for the American College of Radiology. Uh, and with the uh, which is a very, very large national medical society. And so I have sort of an interesting background of various sizes of organizations. I've worked at medium sized, small organizations, even smaller than the PCA. Uh, but when the previous executive director CEO left, when they started looking for a new head of the organization, uh, they went through several months and, and were really trying to figure out what exactly it was that they wanted in terms of who do we bring in in order for the association to kind of move forward with the next steps. And so they think they wanted somebody with somewhat of a strong marketing background, which I definitely have, but also involvement within trade associations to, to really take a look at what are the ways in which we need to evolve as an association to meet the evolving needs of the members in this sort of vastly changing landscape. So 
Um, that's kind of a very short version of uh, started in, in uh, transportation. So it was kind of roads to radiology to cigars is kind of the, the quick uh, nutshell version of that. So uh, yeah. that's somewhat of my background. But um, as far as cigars are concerned, I've um, been a big cigar fan for, you know, probably the better part of 15 years. Uh, and really got a good, really good group of friends where we all enjoy premium cigars. And one group in particular, it's fun. We, um, uh, we all know each other through our significant others. And we used to get together for Friday night poker. And we still do, actually, just not as regular now that the years have gone on and kids and other obligations. But we still do get together pretty regularly. But one of our really good friends built a cigar lounge above his garage. And so what would end up happening is we would show up for poker. We'd play for an hour. And all the, the wives and girlfriends would stay and play poker while the guys would go out and smoke cigars. And so we that's kind of our bond that we still all have. And, in fact, over uh, New Year's, we, we always exchange cigars for Christmas and things like that. So it's been a big part of, of my friendships and, and kind of what's been in, in you know my life for the past you know 15 years or so I had obviously the obligatory cigar sitting out on the balcony at the country club at my wedding and obviously when my kids were born so yeah um, but you know really avid and um, that was just kind of happenstance to be honest with you it wasn't even prerequisite when they first reached out to me but uh the fact that i was uh, a real big fan of the industry that uh, I, I definitely obviously helped oh yeah absolutely i mean that's got to be something important is to uh you know, know, know something about the, the, you know, the culture that you're going to sort of play a role in, but also, also just be, be enamored by it, be, be a fan of the culture that you're, that you're involved in, uh, in helping to further. Yeah. Funny story about that. My first day on the job, I flew down to TAA. I stopped working. My first day on the job, oh, wow. I literally flew down to TAA. Hadn't even met the staff yet, um, so I ended at ACR on Friday and flew down Sunday to uh, the Dominican Republic. And I remember uh, seeing uh, Pete Johnson, um, and it was funny because you know I was on the um, I saw Pete Johnson in the airport, and then I went outside to go get into um, to the shuttle, and it was with Alan Rubin, Christian Aurora, and Tom Lazuka, and uh, so it was really interesting talking to those guys first meeting him. It was a little bit interesting, and then I remember being at the, uh, the hotel and seeing Pete Johnson check in. And I've been a big Tatuaje fan uh, for quite some time. And I, so I remember talking to him. He didn't quite know who I was. I think he thought I was a retailer and everything. Um, but then, you know, meeting George Padron and Carlito Fuente and Lido Colman yeah. and Rocky. But I mean, just all of them. And it was funny. I remember saying, you know, I, I really feel like I'm a kid at Comic-Con meeting all like all these <laughs> whatever else. It was just, it was a little star. I was a little starstruck at first, for sure. But uh, oh, I remember texting my wife at the time. I was sitting out in the foyer during one of the um, things that was going on that I didn't need to be in. And Pippin Garcia was literally sitting right next to me having a cigar. And I texted my wife and I was like, I'm smoking a cigar right next to Pepin Garcia. And then I followed that right up with, I know that means nothing to you, but it's pretty <laughs> damn cool. <laughs> yeah. If, if I were to text that to my wife, she would very politely and very nicely say, who? Yeah. <laughs> So I, th- I think my wife just gave me a thumbs up like, oh, yay. But yeah, yeah. Exactly. it was just yeah. type of thing. But so, yeah. um, so Scott, I want to, I want to just dive right in, you know, because there's, we, we don't want to, um, we don't want to really belabor what's been going on. There's been a lot of movement um, with the PCA specifically relates specifically as it relates to the upcoming trade show in July. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a big announcement that came out and, um, as the internet, as we discussed, uh, uh, in the intro, as the internet often does, 
you know, the, the internet is going to internet and, you know, <laughs> th- things started flying back and forth yeah. all over the place. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, co- in, in situations like this, there can be a lot of conjecture. There can be a lot of rumor. There can be a lot of feelings one way or the other that, oh, that doesn't exist in the cigar world. Are you kidding? I know. And I'm just offended <laughs> yes, that you're talking right now. I know. He's yeah, a, what are you talking about? I offend Garrett on a regular basis. All the time. <laughs> well, that's how you know you guys are good friends. Exactly. <laughs> but so the – and honestly, you, and you can speak to this. I actually reached out to you for the interview before all this blew up. Yeah. It was yeah. January 3rd, and I just reached out to you because I was looking at upcoming months. We wanted to schedule guests who were going to be – you know, important for our, our listeners and viewers to learn about. And, and then it wasn't until after we already agreed to the date and everything that, that boom, this big announcement comes out. So give our, give our viewers and listeners an idea of this big bombshell announcement that came and, and what it means to, you know, consumers uh, is, is at least in your mind and in the mind of the organization, what it means to consumers and um, how that could possibly change maybe a little bit of the landscape of 2020. Sure. So what happened a week ago Friday is that there are four companies, uh, the four pretty much the largest ones, some of the largest ones with uh, Drew Estate, Davidoff, Altatus in general, all announced that they would not be attending or exhibiting at this year's trade show. And so uh, there are a lot of reasons that, that kind of go into that. Uh, but as far as the consumers are concerned, so what that means, the trade show is still going on. Uh, you know, Carlito Fuente, for example, just announced that he's working on a really special uh, cigar that he's going to release for retailers when they come to the show and do some other things. Um, and we're going to be, you know, celebrating the Newman's 125th year in, in business and, and doing some other things at the show. Um, it's really kind of inside baseball when it comes down to it, as far as the consumer is concerned. I think that because, um, you know, the way that the modern, uh, you know, manufacturer to, to retailer is concerned right now, I don't know if there's too much of a, a disruption when it comes to getting products and things like that and, and other things. So um, so the, the only way that I can truly see a consumer being impacted would be for maybe a couple of things in terms of the timing of when certain cigars are released from those companies. Uh, but on top of that, too, those if they're not there, then a lot of the media that actually comes to the trade show, if any of them follow the media, you know, that, that a lot of media then goes and talks to the manufacturers to find out what the release plans are and what they're looking at for the coming year things like that so um what that means for us as an organization is you know obviously as i talked about earlier one of the main reasons they were looking for somebody with my background uh and why i was so excited to take the position uh, apart from just the cigar aspect of it is the opportunity to be able to you know evolve and and really innovate in a way for the association to be able to do new and interesting things for its membership and so that's been something that we've been wanting to do and it's something that we've been working on doing and so i think that this just provides in terms of what we do as an association um a little bit of a different pathway of of achieving that but i think that ultimately um it's it's really not too i think ground shaking for the consumer I think it's mostly just sort of inside baseball and kind of industry politicking more than anything. Yeah. So I, I don't know how much of it's going to impact the, the consumer, to be honest with you. Yeah. And that's good. And I think that's one of the, the one of the things I wanted to address is that I've heard from a few uh, consumers from different parts of the country who were concerned that it was going to affect who knows what. I mean, there were rumors floating around it was going to affect pricing, there were rumors going around that it was going to affect 
um, uh, you know, their retailers and things like that. And, 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 and I, I, I said to them in full honesty, I had, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, I'm no expert on the situation, but I seriously doubt that it's going to affect our day to day activities as members of, of the cigar culture. And I, I, I was, I, I appreciate you. Uh, in reinforcing that and, and letting everybody know that, you know, yes, there, there's a there's definitely a bump in the road and there's definitely, uh, you know, some stuff going on. But uh, we as cigar consumers can can hold fast knowing that, uh, you know, our cigar community is still in good shape. Yeah, the cigar community is still in very good shape. It's still it's one of those things to come out sometimes where I talk about this is that um, one of the main things I really do love about the industry is that it's. It's sort of this old school relationship driven industry, right? And it feels very much familial in that sense. And it is in a lot of ways because there's so many family owned businesses. A lot of, I mean, most of our retailers, family owned businesses, some of them second, third generations. Um, and like any really good close family that's got a lot of, of emotions and personalities, you tend to fight amongst yourselves. But I think at the end of the day, uh, the, the real thing is, is that, you know, you know, looking at the, the larger picture is, we're at an unprecedented time in the history of this industry. Um, and a lot is going to be kind of coming to a head here in the next, you know, six, eight months, as far as the regulation is concerned and as far as what that pathway forward really is. Uh, so I mean, it sort of compresses everything into this, this, um, uh, I mean, I've used this phrase before, so forgive it a little bit. It's a line actually out of Young Guns too, I think, which is you know drinking turpentine and pissing on a brush fire, um, and that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of with all these different things coming at all these different sides. That's essentially kind of what it, it, it's happening right now. Yeah, um, and so it's just really kind of navigating that as far as, um, but but because of that, um, you know, I think it's going to be a case by case basis how this ends up working out with the retailers and their relationships with those manufacturers and how that all shakes out. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, like I said, I really don't see a whole lot of change for the consumer. Uh, so, uh, again, just go back on, you know, keep engaged with us as far as, you know, us being able to reach them when it comes to our state activities to, to help us in, in terms of fighting back against regulation and that, you know, but anything else, as far as the culture they love, getting the products and everything else, yeah. I'm not so sure anything really changes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and full disclosure, I, you know, the announcement came out and, I started talking to, you know, people l- trying to learn as much as I could. Um, and uh, among among those conversations, you know, opinion gets gets interwoven throughout that. And it's that's just the nature of the way things go. But I'll full disclosure, I was leery because it was it was time for for me to because um, we're members of the PCA and it was yeah. it was time for me to renew the PCA membership. And I'll be honest, I was I second guessed it for a second, uh, but but then hearing you on on a couple other shows and um, seeing a lot of, you know, seeing strength from the or, the organization as a whole and seeing strength from so many other manufacturers that are mm-hmm. still coming in saying, look, we we support the PCA, we're with the PCA, we may, yeah, fact is maybe we don't agree with everything the PCA is doing, but we're with them. We're we have to be together as an industry and as a culture. Uh, so this morning, uh, I renewed uh, our "How about that cigar?" PCA membership for 2020. So excellent! I, uh, you know, two of the four actually have have rejoined and in, 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 with their dues as well. So that's good um, to hear. That's good to hear. I yeah. wasn't I wasn't sure if that uh, and that was kind of going to be one of the questions: is were they 
did they simply do, did these four companies simply declare that they weren't going to participate in the trade show or did they declare that they were no longer going to be members of PCA? Um, it, the, the, the conversation around membership never really was discussed as we were going through a lot of these discussions um, because it centers around, again, there's so many moving issues when it comes to the industry and, and how we're kind of choosing to face things and not face things. And it wasn't, it's really, I think, probably pretty difficult when you look at the, those companies and, and how they're structured versus the way that a lot of other companies are structured within the industry, right? And, and how that all filters out to somewhat of how, what they have to kind of go through, what their decisions that they're faced with, et cetera. So, um, again, going back to the model of the organization and, and kind of how it works, and because it's been set up so long to be a trade show-driven organization – um, that's where the majority and the bulk of operations and expenses, but also where revenues and things like that come from and, and the way it's all set up. But as we've been transitioning over this past decade or so into a, a different type of organization, um, you know, questions about what's the role of the trade show and, and how do other people fit into this organization? I think the rebrand, we deliberated a lot about the word retailers in the name too. Um, yeah. It's still a primary focus of ours. But uh, not to, to veer too far off on this, but the main reason and thrust for us going with the name that we did, uh, the, where I guess the final influence to push it to the direction that it did, was our narrative has to resonate very strongly, not just in the Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., but all other capitals around the country. And this yeah. was the most direct and concise name because so much of what we do overlaps with manufacturing issues for things like warning labels, for example, or substantial equivalence and testing, which I don't know if we want to get into that or not. But um, that's all very important for regulators to have a very, very clear line about premium cigar association done. Know who you are, know how you're different from the other tobacco products and specifically how we're very different from vaping and electronic nicotine delivery systems. Yeah. So all of that, when you put all that soup together, right, it, it really does, you know, breed some conversations. And, and so I think that there, that was a lot that was driving it. And I think the participation, from my perspective, at least the participation in the trade show was more about that aspect of the industry and the organization, not so much about the trade show in and of itself, because these, co they control their costs. Our costs per square foot are cheaper than, than anything else that's out there. Um, they're 50% less than what the going rate is in Vegas at that time. Um, you know, and so our manufacturers wanted us back at the Sands Venetian, Las Vegas. We tend to get more people coming when it's in Las Vegas. So I think that the issues have more, not so much to do with, just straight trade show stuff because I think that stuff is really easy to work out, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I think it was just that entire kind of, you know, um, industrial soup that was kind of going on with everything that made that decision when it was. But I mean, look, I'm always an optimist. I'm always thinking there's ways forward, you yep. know, and, and so um, that's what I'm banking on. And I truly believe that at some point we'll, we'll be unified again uh, and, you know, them joining up and paying dues is, again, I think a step in that same direction. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, as I was talking to people this week in preparation for this conversation, you know, I'm talking to brick and mortar owners. I'm talking to some um, people in the industry and just asking, Hey, what, you know, what are your thoughts on the PCA, what they're doing? And a lot of things, you know, that continued to be a theme where it seems like the PCA has no direction, no, uh, real definable direction right now. They're kind of all over the place and it looks unorganized. 
Um, it appears that they are short on money and, you know, that is the opinion, um, really of, of a lot of these now, um, what, you know, what do you say to, you know, the pessimists, if you will, that, you know, kind of have this real negative, um, now bias to the PCA and what that means for 2020 and how important, this year is for you guys moving for for the PCA moving forward. Yeah, you know, um, first thing I'll say is, I mean, I get it, I understand. I mean, I've I've heard it before too, and and I understand sort of. Uh, I wasn't involved with it for the many many years, but I understand through many many years in terms of uh, the organization, and uh, you know, I've heard of a lot about the lack of communication or clarity coming from the office or the leadership of the organization and how that all functioned. And again, I believe that is one of the reasons, and it was kind of outlined for me when they interviewed me for the position uh, of that specifically. Um, and so uh, with that, I mean, that's kind of one of the main reasons we've been doing some of these changes and having to reinvest back into some of the infrastructure into the organization to have the tools necessary to, to fix some of those things and to evolve and, and modernize the association in those ways. Uh, with an 88-year-old organization, it, it, in particularly nonprofits, that, that change does not necessarily happen overnight, even though I've been trying to move as, as rapidly as possible. Uh, the movement is getting interrupted in a couple of ways by, by a couple of things that were kind of in process before I got on board or was trying to having to address. Namely, you know, one of the things was consumer day that, that came up that um, is now a big pause on that um, is and it's not happening right now, at least um, if ever. We don't know yet at this point. Um, but the other part of that, as far as addressing the brick and mortars is, uh, again, I understand we hear you. One of the things that we we're trying to address, and specifically one of the things we're building out to try to to engage members more in the process, is these are these open committees. Historically, these committees have all been closed to only board members. Uh, so we want to open these up to get people working on the same work that board members are doing side by side with the board members. And I think people hear committee work and they may bristle at that a little bit as if it's not impactful. But the reality is, at the end of the day, the work that gets done on the committee is are really kind of what ends up happening at places like the trade show or in communications with the brand new magazine that we've launched, for example, the education programs that we're starting to develop and get going. Um, advocacy issues and things like that that we're working on. And so it's it's really important to, to uh, allow and create those types of mechanisms whereby members can get involved. Also, we are planning to be a lot more proactive in, in getting surveys out so that members will be able to have that voice as well coming back to us explaining things. Here's how you need to reach me. Here's how often I need these communications. Here's the type of information we need to be hearing from you. Um, and then also decision-making process and, and things like that. Um, and, and evolving the annual meeting to a point to where members can be involved. And so, um, I, and I can also tell you this is that I know, um, you know, it's funny because I remember listening to Dave Garofalo talk about this a little while ago in relation to when the consumer day kind of thing was going on. But he talked about his time on the board and he talked about how, you know, you put in all these hours. It's a thankless job because people don't really know what's going on. And I can tell you the amount of time, especially lately because of all of the regulatory issues that are coming to a head right now, and the amount of work that we're doing. For example, we're meeting with the vice president's office tomorrow. But the amount of work that the executive committee puts in, I mean, these guys, seriously, they spend more time working on PCA issues than they do on their retail stores. They're taking time away from their personal businesses for doing a lot of the stuff. And it's all volunteer. They're not getting paid for it. And then the board on top of that, putting in the hours that they do as well, trying to do this work. And so what we're trying to do is, uh, again, like I said, I understand why uh, it'd be very easy for that perspective to have from a brick and mortar member. 
because a lot of these mechanisms haven't been in place. So yeah. we put these communications in place, new newsletters and new ways for people to get involved, to people to stay informed. And the more we can grow that, I think that the the retailers will come to understand the the thought process, the method to our madness, and and hopefully be a lot more involved because the we're really trying to get that diversity of perspective yeah uh involved within the organization because that's only going to benefit us in the long run absolutely mm-hmm. um there's there's something i want to ask and i wrote it out in detail just because um last week uh before um cigar dojo went on their friday night show like they always do uh eric uh sent me a, a quick note asking for just a quick little reaction um and and my reaction was surprise and one of the things that came to mind for me immediately was was an analogy that I threw out there. And, and I've heard from a couple people, um, uh, you know, responding to my analogy that they either agreed with it or they didn't or they partially agreed or whatever. But uh, I, let me throw this out at you and, and, and um, kind of, if you would, just sort of react to this and, and let me know where, where I'm on the right track and where I'm completely, you know, off base, which happens, believe me, all the time. Um, so from a pure real estate perspective, the loss of these vendors, I would imagine, has to put an enormous strain on the financial viability of the trade show as a whole. While the analogy may not be perfect, there are some similarities to anchor stores closing down in a shopping mall. Sometimes new anchor stores can move in, but in this industry, there I, I don't see anybody else of that size being able to move in. So with those anchor spots empty... Uh, there can be a number of risk factors at play. First, that could cut down on overall foot traffic in the mall, thereby reducing sales uh, for all of the smaller stores. Second, without rent payments coming in from the anchor stores, the property owner has to make up that difference by either charging more to the smaller stores in the mall for their storefronts or by taking the loss. Third, the property owner can no longer sustain such a large property footprint and has to massively downsize or close up altogether. Is this analogy even remotely relatable? And if so, why? And if not, why? Uh, in some instances, yes. Um, in 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 others, uh, not so much. I mean, there is very much a risk that 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 the retailers will say, "Hey, if they're not coming, especially if they make up you know sixty-five, seven percent of my facings, why am I going to go?" Um, and that, that kind of underscores the reason why we need to evolve what this event actually is, to be honest with you. Um, it does. So that's actually one of the challenges that, that, you know, we've been facing now, obviously the the announcement at when it happened, as far as officially, we kind of really had no notice on that. We had a few minutes, basically. Um, we were still kind of in good faith thinking that we were having these talks with, with those four folks and, and kind of how it was going to play out and what was actually going to come of it. Uh, so because of that, you know, doing my job, I had run the scenarios to say, okay, well, if the worst case scenario happens, what exactly do we do? And so we've, you know, sharpened the pencil, changed things up. Um, but again, looking at the finances of the organization, one of the benefits of having run a successful trade show for as long as they have and being focused solely on that, not really having had a need in previous years up until about 10 years ago, um, they were able to, you know, have good assets there and in, in reserves in order for us to be able to do what we've had to do with, you know, four and a half million dollars of lawsuits over the past couple of years. Um, and then really go all in on the advocacy game by getting a property right there next to Capitol Hill and where we host events every month, right? We're going to reach well over a thousand, maybe 2000 uh, Capitol Hill staffers this year um, and, and senators and congressmen by coming through our, our townhouse for our events. Um, 
So in terms of that and some of the operational aspects of, of the association uh, will be impacted a little bit by, by the trade show. Um, I can, you know, the, the space, obviously, the, the thing is, is that the, the, that the space is, we charge very little and the, the size of those booths was like 1830 or something like that per square foot where they sold. Now that's a lot. And that does result in, in, in a significant amount of money for us. But when people hear the amount of money that a lot of these companies spend on coming to the trade show, the vast majority of that we never see that doesn't come to us. It's because of the build outs and the parties and a lot of the other stuff that they do. Um, but you know, the, the booth and then also some of the sponsorship fees, you know, uh, uh, came to those four companies that had some sponsorships that, that, that were directly to us. Um, and so, um, one of them didn't sponsor last year and the other one, their sponsorship was just what they paid to, uh, put on the party. It was nothing that came to us. So in, in that sense, um, we've had a lot of, of, uh, manufacturers step up uh, in terms of requests for sponsorships. Uh, so that has actually increased significantly from last year. Uh, what we might see is is more uh, more small, medium-sized companies coming in. We've had actually a lot of uh, inquiries from them uh, because with the size of that space now, uh, there's a lot more oxygen for some of these other booths to breathe and, and feel like they can actually be in better positions and different things like that in order to get more uh, get in front of retailers more, have more retailers buy them. And so uh, while the mall analogy, yeah, the anchors are there and not there and kind of moving, et cetera. In this instance, because it's a show floor and it's fluid continuously, um, every year it's different in a lot of ways and kind of what we do around it. I think that uh, the the concern that you mentioned in terms of folks not coming is probably one that is on everybody's mind right now. And I believe that's one of the main reasons why we're trying to focus so much on how is it that we enhance the experience for retailers so that the value is there beyond just the ordering and discounts, et cetera, yeah. uh, in terms of what they're getting. So the focus on legislative and policy and, and having a grassroots playbook and, and different things like that, uh, as well as new product release showcases, uh, new networking events and peer to peer learning, uh, all those types of things that we can use to enhance the, the show uh, is what we're focused on for this year. Uh, for 21, yeah. I think you're going to see a, a pretty significantly different annual event uh, than you'll see in 2020. Okay. Well, and you know, the Mall of America, when they were suffering, they said, hey, Sweden, do you guys have a furniture store <laughs> that we can put outside? So just spitball in here. Maybe we call Ikea and say, hey, great idea. Get a bunch of cigar guys to build some stuff we can't pronounce and have a ball. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, like the Schlugenschlagen uh, uh, bookcase. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, what's interesting about that, though, is that there is a great method in that madness that you just suggested, which is for us, one of the things that we have been pursuing the past couple of years are not just cigar companies coming, but you know what are the services and businesses and things like that that retailers need to run their stores, whether it's security systems or signage or accounting services. There you go. PL systems. So we're making we're doing a much more concentrated effort to to bring in some of those folks as well. And we have a lot of we have a lot of members who run lounges with bars. We're trying to see if we can get some good. Um, craft beers that might want to get into some of these places, some yeah. spirits and things like that. Uh, maybe even potentially working with another spirits association and things like that. So we're trying to, tr trying to diversify the types of folks that are on the show floor as well. So a uh, real, you know, kind of a yes or no deal is a uh, question from a brick and owner, uh, brick and mortar owner. Uh, do you have the resources to survive without the big four? 
Absolutely. 100%. Awesome. Yeah. We will not only will we survive, I mean, look, it, it uh, um, uh, to be honest, if, if uh, yeah, we, we do. I mean, we, we have we have reserves that, there, that are set aside. There's our war chest to fight the fights. And we've been able to take a look at how we do things. A good partner with our show decorator and the ways that we do things in order to cut costs to where for us, we'll still be able to operate and, and not only survive, but continue to kind of go on and, and do the things that we're doing. So we're we're still in a great shape. I mean, it won't be exactly the way that it was, obviously. But, you know, we're creative and we've got some good solutions to where we can sharpen our pencil, cut some costs in certain areas, move some things around. But, yes, absolutely. Good. Good deal. Um, I want to give everybody a quick shout on what we're smoking before I get into the next question. Um, mm. I got the um, uh, in the in the humidor here at Sodi Cigar Shop. Uh, we, we grabbed some of the Tatuaje Cajonu uh, 2012 Sumatra Churchill. Oh, nice. Uh, beautiful cigar. Uh, and it was it was just kind of kind of by chance that uh, I. Uh, grab tatuajes and happen to be i didn't even realize i was wearing my tatuaje t-shirt so um, such a fanboy i'm such a fanboy yeah <laughs> um but one, Scott, one of the things that i was i was thinking about and i know because you're on obviously you're on the pta side you're not you're not a manufacturer you're not a retailer but i one of the first things that i thought about was for these four manufacturers that are that uh, you know have chosen to not exhibit at the trade show this year i i go back to my previous years at the trade show and i think about those those booths because they're they're very large um you know they have very large yeah. footprints tons of tables a lot of salespeople. i mean all hands on deck and at least because things always would slow down on the last day, day and a half of the trade yeah. show. The, the first two days were just a absolute whirlwind. Uh, every table was filled with people writing up orders. It was just constant. And I, I'll be honest. And one of these days, I, I hope to speak to somebody from one of these, one of these big companies and, and kind of get an idea of, of how this changes things for them. Because I think to myself, okay, if those, if, if you've got 10, 15, 20 tables, that for two days straight is filled with people writing orders at this trade show that they obviously have to, I would think, I would hope that as a business person, that they've got a strategy to make up that ground. They've got to make up those orders somehow. And, and even, even just as, as a outside observer, you know, from a pure business perspective, like I said, I have concerns or, and, and hopefully someday somebody can put those to rest, but I have concerns about how they're going to make up those orders without, without the, the time spent with boots on the ground at the trade show. What, do you have any input on that? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I mean, they've, they've talked about that. I think in, in some of the conversations we've had, um, and it's a good point. I understand the the business aspect of it to where if you've got 12 months, I mean, look, we're trying to do the same thing at PCA, to be honest with you. But for them, you know, they've gone particularly from 25 years ago or so to where they, they go along, they go along, they have a big spike in the middle of the year, then it goes down again. And that's not great for business because, <clears throat> pardon me, you know, anything can happen. And if that point misses for you, then something's off. And so they wanted to have more consistent spikes throughout the year. So, you know, I think that with the larger companies, they're kind of set up uh, for that. 
in a lot of ways. And I think that they'll, you'll probably see them do certain things as far as when they release or when they discount and using their Salesforce going out on mass and hitting the phones and things like that. I mean, these guys are all big companies. They kind of know what they're doing as far as that's concerned. One thing though, that I think kind of gets discounted here a little bit is the psychology of the customer. And as a marketer, that's kind of what I spent my career on is really studying that, right? And, and in business school, you're looking at that and, and how that actually shapes what you do as far as your business model is concerned, how your marketing is concerned. And, and you know, I view my role as to know the customer so well, right? The product sells itself. And so I, you can't really um, get away from the psychology of the customer. So when a, a retailer is, is picking up and leaving uh, his or her store, and coming to the trade show, they're very much in a mindset of I'm going, I'm here to buy. I'm here to get orders. I'm here to find new products. I'm here to do X, Y. That's why they're there. When you go and try to reach out to them, you could be calling them. They could be struggling. They, they might have an issue with their, their humidors that they're working on while you're trying to come and see them. And when they're sitting there in front of their computer and they're tracking their, their inventory and their sell-throughs and their turn and everything else, and then it, they're going to beat you up and things like that. They're not in that. So they're in the psychology of running their business, and yeah. that mindset is there. But yeah. when they are at the trade show, they are in the mindset of I am here to buy yeah. and, and, you know, you get caught up in it. And I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many conversations I've had with retailers that said, yeah, I just spent $50,000 more than I was planning on spending, but I got this and they were doing this, et cetera. And I just don't know. I'm skeptical that you would get the same type of, of response by just doing your traditional sales calls when you're going to their stores. Now I, very easily could be wrong, but there's something very different about, um, you know, a customer that's just browsing your website versus a customer that's driven to the mall, parked, walked in and is in your store looking. There's a different psychology that's there. Yeah. Um, and, and you know that obviously in our retailers, I, I think understand that as well. So, um, I'm sure that they all have, you know, obviously pretty solid plans. Um, it, it, it would shock me that they didn't considering the, the people running these companies who made these decisions. But also I do think that though that you can't really discount the psychology of the retailer when they're there at the show and why they're there. Yeah. Um, so out of the, you talked a little bit earlier about the, the, the cost of, of uh, putting together a booth and exhibiting at the IPCPR or sorry, at the PCA trade show. So um, take all of the, so all the cigars that they put on the floor, to give as samples to retailers, all the tables, the chairs, the carpet, the, the fancy decorations, take all that stuff out of it. Just the cost of the booth itself, you know, of the space, of the square footage, the cost of the square footage, what percentage of that that goes to the PCA goes, what percentage of that goes directly to legislative efforts? Ballpark. I don't need like probably. Okay, let me just run through this in my brain here real quick. So, so what we make off of the trade show for booth sales, essentially, you're looking at probably sixty percent. And what's difficult there is you have to. There's a lot of operational things that I would say are supporting sort of our legislative stuff and things like that. But yeah, uh, I mean directly as far as. And probably even a little bit more than that, to be honest with you. I would say at a bare minimum, it's sixty percent. Could be upwards okay. of, of of even close to seventy percent when when all is said and done, um, just because of of so many different things that are kind of going on right now. But a big but a big chunk. I mean, you know, that's yeah. why like I said it's causing us to invest some of the the monies that we have there into the association to build out these other services. But yeah, I mean, I can tell you that every the, the 
all membership dues, we spend way more than that on, on all of our advocacy outreach and litigation and things like that. So a good chunk of the trade show goes towards that, that outreach as well. Okay. That's a lot more significant than I thought. That's, yeah, me too. Yeah, that, uh, well, I think one thing to remember is it's not just federal for us. We have a very large state and, and quite frankly, it needs to be larger. Um, you know, but our team does, uh, just a crazy good job of being connected and present with these states and, and being able to, um, on a moment's notice, get where they need to get to. And we've got great members when they get activated as well in those states. And so that does encompass a, a lot of that as well. And it's so important for the industry to be aware of those because, things start at a local level and will percolate up to the federal level. So if you look at everything from T21, et cetera, um, it's happening. And right now it's, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing a, a new version of that with flavor bands that are hitting at a bunch of States that we are in full force going out and fighting right now. Yeah. Now I know you, uh, so in those of you who are watching and listening, um, um, if, if you get a chance to, I encourage you to watch, um, Scott's interview with Cigar Coop um, was a great interview. Yeah. Um, and I know you touched on it a little bit, but if you could, uh, if we could talk about the contrast between the CRA and the CPA, and you know, I'm not an accountant. PCA. 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 <laughs> Dang it. PCA. Yeah, totally uh, understandable. Yeah. And all these acronyms. I have ADD. And, um, no, but if you could talk about, you know, your fight versus theirs, or is it, you know, is there joint effort in that? And what is the, you know, just talk about, you know, that piece a little bit. Absolutely. I will say one thing. Um, I did rewatch that Coop interview. And uh, at any point, if I have gone on too long, which I know I tend to do, you guys can just give me a hand signal and I, oh, I know no. when to stop. So feel oh, free because no. I, yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, so the, the uh, Cigar Rights of America and, and our organization uh, very much work very closely together. Uh, they're primarily a consumer rights group that uh, was kind of uh, ran by and funded by the manufacturers as well as the consumers that are also donating to the cause as well. But uh, so, for example, we're meeting with uh, the senior health policy advisor for Mike Pence's office tomorrow and the vice president's office. And, uh, you know, CRA is going to be joining us for that. We coordinate with them on our small business administration meeting that we put together. And we've coordinated with them a lot in, in, in a lot of stuff that we do. We have weekly calls with them and coordinate our efforts. We're a small niche industry. And even though we do a great job of punching above our weight class, uh, we don't have the resources that a lot of folks do. So for us to duplicate efforts is just wasting both time and money. So we want to coordinate very, very closely with them on all of our activities to ensure that we are getting the most bang for our, our buck and, and the most out of any kind of time and energy spent uh, with any policymaker or legislator. So we work very closely okay. with them. Um, we got a viewer question. Uh, Kylie would like to know, are there any new and exciting things coming to the show this year? Uh, events hosted by PCA, contests, et cetera. Well, one exciting thing that is coming to the show, Kylie, better be you. That's for sure. For the <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, yes, great question. So uh, one of the main things that we've noticed is that uh, a lot of what our attendees really want is this access to, to new products and new information. Everybody from you all, the media that come to cover it, as well as the retailers, right? We know that new products are the lifeblood for the consumers and the customers coming into to the cigar shops. They're always asking what's new. And oftentimes what's new to them, that's great. But uh, so we really want to provide a better way for our retailers to interact with the the manufacturers. So we're putting together a whole new showcase on that Friday. So instead of the traditional sort of seminars that we've done in the past, what we're doing is going to be able to set up, set up this new product showcase where you're going to be able to come in and kind of almost think about sort of a combination of like media time at the Super Bowl, uh, where you get to go around and they're answering all the questions on Media Row, uh, but like CES, where they're kind of releasing and standing on stage and talking about new products. And so if Rocky Patel or Fuente wants to get up and talk about this new thing, but it's going to be kind of this whole area of that Hall C where we had all the seminars last year will be dedicated to these new product showcases um, as well as accessories that you'll be able to see and touch. So what's great is, is that we feel like for the retailer, you get to come and spend a whole day of finding new products, tasting them, talking to the vendors, maybe even meeting new vendors that are there, new products that are launching before you ever even hit the trade show. So it's a good way to, I mean, that's good homework, right? If you're a retailer and you're a tobacconist, that's yeah. a great way to do homework uh, up to and including where you feel like we want to be able to set aside a time for media to be able to go and do it. So you guys can have like your exclusive media time for the new releases so that your, your viewers here would be able to have a direct access to kind of these, these guys who are coming out with stuff. So rather than trying to hunt and peck on the show floor, we've got one big day devoted to here's all the exciting things that are happening. Here's what my company is doing this year. Here's what you can expect from us. Uh, so it really kind of breeds on that excitement. We're, we're working on something. I don't want to get too far into the details because some of the folks aren't, aren't necessarily confirmed yet, but we're working on an interesting new, um, instead of like the traditional keynote, we're working on a really, really interesting um, sort of um, panel. I'll call it an all-star panel, but I can't really go into any further detail than that because, again, they're not locked in yet. Uh, but we're looking on having some exciting people come to the show this year for, for that. Um, as far as contests, we are starting to work on some things, Kylie. Uh, those aren't locked down yet. But we are looking at uh, to having some fun and interesting things like we did last year of having the basketball court or the arcade games and things like that. But we're looking at doing it in, in uh, some not necessarily the same thing, but some other things like that, too. So uh, right. and then also I know some people ask this question, too, but I just also, for anybody that's listening that comes to the show. We are. Yes, absolutely. There's still going to be an opening night party. We have been able to move some budgets around in order for us to make sure that we do pay for that um, and have that because we know that's important for the industry to come together to kick off the, the, the event. So that is, that is definitely a go as well. Yeah. I know everybody appreciates that. It, I, it's, and it's not just, I mean, yeah, everybody loves an open bar, but it's about, it's, it's about building relationships. Oh, and how, and how <laughs> <laughs> I just want to share this fun story. And, and it's, you know, it, um, I know we get a lot of questions and other skeptics out there when we release our attendance and I can, all I can tell you is that, I mean, you guys are more than welcome to come and audit this, but if somebody picks up a badge, that's the number that gets put out there. And, you know, there's, there's the account representation and there's how many stores they represent and then total attendees. Right. So there's sort of those three layers. Yeah. So this year, because of, um, because that it fell on the weekend before the 4th of July, we had a lot of people front load their attendance this year. And so, uh, we know that for a fact, because we had a thousand more people come to the opening night party than we had in the previous five years. And we drank the Venetian out of all their brown liquor. 
Uh, it was it was pretty bad. So the, good, the, luckily they charged us per good head. Good job, so that, cigar industry. Exactly. That's how I know how many I'm people proud came of because the stands charged us on a per head basis rather than consumption. And had they charged us on consumption, it would have been like twice the amount of money. So the people did front load it. And I think that that's why Sunday was uh, – Saturday and Sunday were really weird when it happened because – a lot of the big guys were really, really busy on the front end and some of the smaller guys kind of in the, the second part of the hall, their day on, later on Saturday than early Sunday were slammed. And you, and you really saw how empty it was on, at the end of the show because I, because I think of that, that they were all gone by the time of the 4th of July came. Yeah. Um, Steve, has a, Steve has a good question here. I wanna, it's, a, it's a long question, but I think it's, I think it's a good one. It's um, great. So yeah. what are your thoughts on a retailer that has been in business for 20 years, accounts with most companies not attending the show? We get all the deals from the companies before and after the event because it is not exclusive to attending the event anymore, which is a major issue for the necessity of attending. It is also difficult to leave a retail store during the busiest time of the year. Absolutely. Those are two of the major pain points that we are addressing with why we're trying to evolve the association for a number of reasons. So that's why we're saying, look, we've got to provide value beyond just the deals for the trade show, right? And I think some of the manufacturers are doing some things to try to bring back somewhat of that exclusivity for some of the products. I know Pete only does his monsters at the show. Carlito's doing his. Alito's always done a show exclusive. Um, so it's a particular cigar, not necessarily the deal. Um, you know, one of the important things for for the deals that I think uh, happen, though, is that uh, from what I've heard from a lot of retailers is that if they're able to get good margins on those deals, it helps pay or justify some of the cost that they spend to come out uh, for the show as well. But the other point, the other issue that, that he hits on is a really, really important one for us. 83% of our membership are single store owners. And so uh, I definitely know and understand the difficulty of, ha- of not being able to leave your store. Um, going through, and, and then just a quick little anecdote to, to let you all know how I feel your pain. We are about three weeks away from opening up our own retail store, not a cigar store. My, it's my wife's uh, business. And so, you know, when we're looking at, okay, can we travel here? Can we do this? Can we do that? I understand completely because we're not able to take the time away from the shop that's opening. So I understand completely, uh, can fully empathize with that. And so what we're looking at, not to get too kind of into the weeds as far as the organization is concerned, but I think it's important for members to understand what we're doing and why. And so when I came in, I looked at basically the organization and said, what business are we really in? And when you look at the trade show, it really is basically a two-sided model. And so uh, a two-sided platform model. And what that essentially means, so if you look at it like, for example, um, Xbox. Xbox is that platform, right? And you have the game makers and the designers on one side, and then you have the game players on the other. And the Xbox is what allows them to come together and and, and play, right? And that's effectively kind of what we are. And so we're saying when we took a look at that, our evolution right now is – how do we pull that trade show apart to where we can expand that aspect of it out for 365 days a year of value and get more member engagement at multiple levels rather than focusing solely on those four days? Those four days are still going to be important because we need to build this annual event where the industry can come together. How do we fight for the industry? How do we get involved? What kind of things can we learn? Get rejuvenated, meet with your friends, develop relationships, get the new products. All of that is still very important. 
but how do we provide value as to far as what the underlying business model of that trade show is throughout multiple times of the year? We yeah. are working on things right now uh, in, in order to enhance that, right? That's one of the main reasons why we decided to to launch the magazine is to start giving more opportunities for manufacturers to connect with retailers, get more information out and connect them in those ways. You know, while we're doing these workshops now, we have one going on in Dallas in a few weeks, which will also be available for members to stream from from wherever they are and doing another one in Miami. So we're going to be in multiple places throughout the year doing those workshops and then doing other things to enhance apart from those four days at the trade show, other opportunities for retailers to interact with manufacturers in that same B2B context. But uh, okay. we'll be releasing more of that as we kind of get that developed later in the year. Okay. Is, uh, is uh, a changing of dates uh, on the table for yeah. future shows? Yes, we have RFPs out. I, I recently went to a conference uh, back in July uh, for association executives, and I met with you know, probably <laughs> 35 or 40 different destinations. Um, and I would walk up and I would introduce myself, give them my card. They would look at it and say, hey, can I smoke inside your, your facility? Nope. Nice to meet you. And I moved on to the next one. Uh, found found, uh, found several that, that said, ah, potentially. Um, so we looked at places in Florida, uh, Tampa. Miami is a difficult one because I believe they're they're um, they're they're still checking on this, but their their convention center is brand new or fairly new, and so I believe it's LEED certified, which means that we can't even get an exemption for that. Um, but we're looking at Tampa, New Orleans still allow smoking for at least up until mm-hmm. twenty five. We're looking at Dallas, Fort Worth, St. Louis, uh, Louisville, and a couple other places too. Those were the more prominent ones. But the RFP that we put out, we asked for a couple different times of year. When the survey that we reached out for our retailers, we really asked for um, uh, feedback in terms of when would you come. And it's really interesting because we have a lot of retailers that are in South Florida, Atlanta, Texas, Arizona. For them, they're, they're busy time of the years right now. And it, for them, they feel like it's a little bit slower when it's so hot outside, you don't want to go outside. Um, yeah. And so um, we had basically the, the, the Q1, January, February, March was, the, was uh, high, but it really was almost even between Q1, Q2, and Q3. I mean, nobody wants to do a trade show in Q4. So we're looking at those different times. And, I, and for what we're looking at right now is, can we potentially hold this at a sooner time? And what would that look like? And then a way for us to measure the return on that time and date uh, or location versus Las Vegas at the same time. So if uh, if we continue to work on this, I think that we'll probably see some uh, structural changes for the trade show in that regard. And in and then also um, uh, being able for us to measure back again so that that way we have good hard data because you know, your perception and your feelings about the trade show are one thing, but when you can really take a look and say, look, we had more people in Las Vegas in the summer than in Tampa in March, uh, then it, it goes to that hard. I mean, people can say, well, I'd rather come in March, but if they don't, then that's meaningless. Yeah. So I've, I've been curious about this. Do you guys have data on, of all the brick and mortar, uh, all the cigar retailers, the premium cigar retailers in the United States, and all the premium cigar manufacturers uh, and brands, what percentage of them are members of, uh, and we're, I'm just talking membership, uh, are members of PCA? And what percentage of them, uh, let's say, over the past few years, it doesn't have to be um, a long term, but what percentage of them uh, attend or exhibit at the trade show? Yeah, so roughly seven-ninths of our membership come to the trade show. Okay. Um, and so 
the interesting thing, and I've said this a few times over the past couple of weeks, uh, one thing I love about the industry is that it's, you know, old fashioned and old school. Uh, but one of the frustrating things is that it's old fashioned and old school and that yeah. relationship driven aspect. Right. And the yeah. frustrating thing about it being old, there's just not a lot of data that exists yeah. out there. And the, the challenge in that is also how do we truly define a premium retail tobacconist? And the difficult thing there is, so for example, there are places like Binnie's and Specs and ABC and, and some of these other places that are primarily wine or liquor stores that also have humidors. But they have a lot of facings and they sell a lot of premium cigars. Uh, so is that a premium retail tobacconist? Well, we allow them in. They come to the show. Uh, but there are others that are out there that might be more like uh, a golf course, for example, that only has, you know, five or six facings that's sitting on top of, uh, of, the, of a, uh, uh, a kiosk or something like that at the, uh, the, the golf clubhouse or something. And is that considered a retail tobacconist? And if they're coming in their only order, maybe, you know, four or $5,000, is that somebody that we, that this should be at the trade show or not? Versus even, you know, a, a hookah shop or a vape shop that only has a handful of facings or, or, or should they be coming to the show as well um, or members. And so especially because of the divergent, obviously, legislative needs that are going on right now with some of those other adjacent industries. So um, it's just something that we just don't know. And the, and then the other part with the manufacturers, um, that's something else that, again, it, it varies um, in, in terms of that. But because our manufacturer to date relationship with the manufacturers has been mostly about the show, it hasn't been the same as a typical sort of membership aspect that the retailer has. Um, I would like to see that change. Uh, I would like to see us offer more value to manufacturers in other ways beyond just simply come to a trade show and, and sell stuff to to retailers type of thing. So, but of the membership that we do have seven ninths comes to the trade show. And while that's great, that also is a little bit of a red flag warning about us being able to offer a full suite of services to engage with throughout the entire year. Right. Um, So last week on the show, we had Nick Melillo from foundation Mm -hmm. cigar company. Hey, I was just talking to him today. And he just, he won and he may have already posed this question to you, you know, in person, but, but he asked us to, to ask on the show, uh, he said, what is the PCA doing to encourage or incentivize retailers to intent, to attend the trade show? Yeah, so I think the, the, some of that we, we talked about a little bit earlier um, as far as that's concerned uh, yeah. with, uh, you know, the new product showcases and some of that stuff. Um, some, some of the stuff that uh, we're working on right now will most likely come to fruition in 21. And a lot of it is much more about... Uh, an actual annual meeting for the retailer, a member. Uh, and by that, so drawing upon my my experience in other trade associations, when you generally have an annual meeting, you're coming together to do a lot of different things. Um, my previous job, there, you had this massive meeting of these counselors that would get together and you would have resolutions and they would come to the floor and they would discuss them and debate them and think almost like town hall type of things. And that's again, going back to this committee work and other things. Right. And so when you think about stuff as far as, well, what's PCA doing legislatively? And, and although there are those of us that with, with certain volunteers that really get down into the weeds and work long hours on this stuff, you know, for members to be able to come in and really spend time during an annual meeting going into well, what is, what, what is this premium cigar aspect that we're doing here with the FDA or what is this SE process looking like or what are these policies as far as the retailer training that we're doing for Tobacco 21 compliance issues and things like that for, for, for the entire membership to be able to come together and to discuss that and then also have input on what those policies should be 
um, that right there, I think, uh, just based upon a lot of what I've heard from retailers wanting to be able to have more input and impact on their organization, uh, I believe is, is should be incredibly motivating and not anything that they're going to get anywhere else. Because again, it, you know, the involvement with the trade show and the involvement with the organization is, is that everything we do, we're putting right back into fighting for the organization. And so that's sort of the underlying value proposition that's out there. And I know that that unfortunately it sort of rests upon the altruism of, of the membership and you know and it, it, it's not saying anything or trying to be a guilt trip or anything like that because i totally understand where steve for example is coming from in that regard um you know altruism can only take you so far when you know you've, you've got bills to pay and you, you know mouths to feed and things like that yeah. uh, but um being able to to have that plus other other things of benefits throughout the year that would actually kind of tailor into the the trade show um you know other other educational opportunities, other buying opportunities and things like that, that would tie into the trade show that, you know, just been different times of the year and stuff. A yeah. lot of this stuff is still in development. It's, you know, again, very small staff, very limited resources and very limited money to be able to get these things off the ground and going as quickly as possible. Um, but we are working on them, you know, as hard as we can in order to get these things realized. So in, in the world of the, you know, oh, I'm not a fan of yours, Matt. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> It's a long story. It's it's it's. I'm it's sure all, it is. It's all meant in love. I promise. It's it's, it's a long story. Oh, it's that kind of relationship. It's like gotcha. it relationship. that kind of relationship. <laughs> but uh, the on the the leadership committee and the board of directors, really more the board of directors of PCA. What's the breakdown of uh, retailers versus manufacturers on the on the board? We have one voting manufacturer on the board, who's the president of the advisory board. And right now, that is currently Mike Condor of Crown Heads. Uh, you know, previous people, I think Rocky's been, Jim Young from Davidoff. Um, they've all been uh, the voting members. So right now, that, that currently exists um, in that infrastructure. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I was uh, I was going to ask, did you happen? I'm assuming you saw Lido's letter today. Yes. Uh, just a phenomenal letter. Yeah, of, it, was, uh, it was great. Uh, of support, and I just want to read the last part of this letter for uh, for listeners and uh, those who might be watching. Uh, it ends like this: It is all of our responsibility for manufacturers, small and large retailers, and media to think responsibly and make every effort possible possible to bring this industry together. It may be our only chance to win this fight, and I would hate to look back on this someday in a uh, heavenly, uh, heavily regulated future, knowing that we were our own worst enemy and not do everything in our power to prevent the worst from happening. Question. Do you see the trade show 2020 as being a make or break year for the industry, for the show? Um, do you feel that pressure or, you know, what are your thoughts on that? The show? No, 2020. Yes. And here's why. Um, uh, we are, we've been doing some really, really good work over the past six, seven months in terms of our outreach to federal agencies. And a few months ago, uh, it's been a few more now, probably back in September, I think it was, we had meetings in one day with the White House, with the FDA, Office of Stakeholder Relations and Health and Human Services. And it was a fascinating, and those are the three of the main industry, the three of the main um, uh, regulatory agencies or, or administration offices that we need to kind of deal with in order for us to kind of forge this path forward. 
and I'm sure that, that you all know, but I don't know how many consumers know, one of the main things we've been driving for is a premium cigar exemption to the Tobacco Control Act and a lot of the regulation that's coming down that's really targeting mostly vape and those companies that are getting the kids hooked on cotton candy puff clouds. So for, for us, we've been really going hard at uh, a premium cigar exemption. And this kind of goes back also to your question about the four companies and, and some of the sort of motivations, what that definition is and, and how that actually gets, you know, implemented or you know, how the premium cigars actually get extracted out and everything else is, is debatable. And I think that's somewhat of what Lido is referring to there. Um, just my conjecture, not, not anything else. Um, but when we look at what we've been able to do with the white house and with health and human services and with the FDA, the, uh, the assistant director for stakeholder relations actually chased us down because he missed his meeting because he had to be there for when Han was getting um, confirmed. He was having his confirmation hearings at the time and he tracked us down and he said, look, he goes, your story is resonating with folks here. And he says, people, the, the, the small business component of the brick and mortar stores is something that's carrying a lot of weight and getting your message across in the right way. So we want to work with you. And then when we met with the white house and the health and human services, the white house, you know, we, look, we're continuing to go after the premium cigar exemption. That's still our number one priority. However, 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 chances are diminishing as far as that's being, being able to be accomplished, right? So we have good plan B in place, which it, it, it gives us the opportunity to develop our own framework so that the industry is not disrupted in how it functions right now. And I think what Lito's referring to is that if we miss this opportunity, other people that do not understand the difference between a premium cigar and the cherry crush puff clouds mm -hmm. are going to regulate premium cigars out of business where their products are products haven't changed since, you know, 1600s for crying out loud. The, the way that's made and everything that's in it has not changed since then. And so for, for, for this industry to get regulated out because of, of what's going on right now, it w would just be disastrous. And, and crushing. I mean, you would crush an entire industry for no reason whatsoever, right? Yeah, yep. And so for us to be able, then I've used this analogy a lot. Right now, we are, we are on the precipice of doing something pretty unprecedented, especially for this industry. Yep. And we are close. We are so close. We can build a regulatory wall around premium cigars that gives the FDA what they want, which assuages any of the concerns or objections from, from the health groups and, and tobacco-free kids and all that, but gives us the framework where we can operate without any sort of fear with clarity, with, with certainty, so that as these companies are making this money, they can reinvest back in their businesses. We can focus on the more important issues like how do we grow the consumer base? How do we do these X, Y, Z things, right? And that's what we're so close to actually accomplishing right now. So in 2020, I do think is going to be a very pivotal year. And quite frankly, these next few months are going to be incredibly pivotal for uh, this industry. Yeah. The trade show uh, I think that you'll, you know, 10 years we'll look back and we'll say that 2020 was somewhat of a catalyst. Stuff was happening before, but I think people will see 2020 as the catalyst for how the organization really started to evolve, morph and change in, in a lot of ways. And, and also what the annual meeting actually has become. And people will look back, I think, in 10 years and say, oh, yeah, I remember when we used to spend three days just doing nothing but ordering. That's crazy now. And I think you'll, you'll, I think you'll probably see that in, yeah. in, in, in that evolution. And we'll see 2020 as a catalyst in a lot of ways for organizational change. But really, it's very pivotal and critical right now in terms of regulatory issues for us. Love it. So this this will be kind of the last big question in the main segment. And it's a question that I asked. We had Alan Rubin on the show a few weeks ago. And um, he's he's been deeply involved in, in legislative efforts for for decades. And and 
Um, I played devil's advocate with him, and I, I asked a very pointed, very tough question. I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, and it's a question that, um, you know, I ask as, as, uh, as a media member as, as though I'm the combative, you know, picture me as the combative uh, retailer or the combative brand owner. Um, when I ask this question, so when um, when retailers and manufacturers see something, well, and consumers alike, when we see something like Tobacco Twenty One pass, I have to ask, what the hell are we paying you for? Is Tobacco Twenty One? And I, and again, I ask that as devil's advocate, not to be an asshole, but um, what the hell are we paying you for? Is Tobacco Twenty One an important issue for the PCA? And if so, or if not, why? Um, yeah, so one part of me just kind of wants to go with, with Tim's response there. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I certainly understand Tim very well now. Yes. Tim, <laughs> I need to buy you a beer. No, I'm, that's, that, that's totally in jest. Um, uh, so here's what's really interesting. And politics is never black and white. It is always messy, right? Yeah. Yep. And here's one of the things that I think people really need to understand. And, and I know, and look, I understand the frustration from members in terms of what comes out from us and everything else. And, and I know that people, you know, want statements from us and this and that and the other. One of the main things I think people need to understand is, is that there's no politician that is going to risk their career for tobacco. It's not going to happen. Right. Uh, so we have to, we, we spend a lot of time building a lot of relationships, right? We visit offices consistently, making sure we have these relationships for people that understand our issue. And there are a lot of different ways, subtly kind of behind the scenes in different ways and different committees and things like that, where we can influence step-by-step incrementally and getting things done for, 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 for us. Um, when it comes to those relationships, if we were to come out and publicly say T21 and come out against it and do all this other stuff in, in, uh, at the federal level, it jeopardizes that exemption because what ends up happening is for those politicians in those committees to go to bat for us, what happens is we are dwarfed by the resources of the public health groups and, you know, campaign for tobacco free kids and the truth initiative, et cetera, dwarfed. I mean, it's not even close. When you look at the amount of comments that they submit on the premium cigar issue versus ours, I mean, it's, it's like 10,000 pages to our like 300. It's not even close. So that's, that's one part that we're up against. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't fight against it. So when I talk about our state lobbying efforts, we fought Tobacco 21 on numerous states. We had some victories. But one thing we also have to realize is that Tobacco 21 did not drop in all 50 states with near identical legislation by accident. Yeah, you know, we, went into, we went into a state legislature in Virginia, and, and they just said, you guys need to get your act together with Altria. This is Altria's legislation. I don't know why you guys are fighting it. And so, uh, you know, they, they're on a very different playing field. I mean, this is how <laughs> – this is, you know, so it, it, it's, it's, it's very different as far as that's concerned. And they've got their own, right, because of vaping and all this other stuff that they're trying to take care of. And I've used this often saying we're often caught in the tuna net in that regard. So we did try to fight it. But the other part of it is is that our narrative based upon the data for so long has been kids are not smoking premium cigars. People don't smoke premium cigars. They don't really start until the average age of 30. They're smoking 1.7 out of every 30 days, et cetera. And for us to go in and have taken a hard line, especially very publicly, that we, we again, we did in certain ways behind the scenes. But for us to come out really publicly, it puts a lot of our supporters on Capitol Hill and in these agencies in a very, very tough corner to have any sort of leverage to do anything for us if we're against 
if we just come out and, and we're, we're immovable in that regard, it paints yeah. them in a corner very, very, very stringently and doesn't allow a lot of room uh, or latitude for us down the road when we're trying to get a bigger picture. Yeah. And so there are certain ways which we can now leverage it and say, hey, look, you guys did this tobacco 21 thing. We need to get some clarity on X, Y, and Z. Um, but this all happened. I mean, there was, there was no chance of anybody uh, fighting this. I mean, it was a done deal. Uh, there were even people that are pro tobacco and the pro tobacco industry were in support of this legislatively on, on Capitol Hill. I mean, with Mitch McConnell's dropping it and things like that, it's, it's, you really don't have a whole lot of room for, for it. Uh, And they were doing it because they were, I mean, it wasn't just ultra. There were a lot of other groups out there that were doing it because this was their way to try to start to stave off the tide against the vaping industry because of the access, right? Well, 18 year olds are still seniors in high school. This was the excuse. 18 year olds are still seniors in high school. They can go buy it. And that's how it's getting into the schools. Yeah. So, you know, they would, they wouldn't even, we tried, you know, like hell for to move to then just go to 19. We tried like hell for military exemptions and, and, and the like. So um, they're, they're just right now, because of the tide of public opinion and everything else, that's just so anti-tobacco because tobacco means vaping now or, or and cigarettes, which means kids are dying and getting hooked. Therefore, premium cigars must go to. Right. Yeah. And one of the, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the, you know, I've, I'm with you on the tobacco 21 thing because I've, and an analogy that I've given to friends, uh, is look at it from a baseball perspective. You know, there are times that big poppies walk into the plate and you're going to intentionally walk him. Yeah. You, it's not that you want a runner on base. You don't want to just give up a runner on base, but sometimes it's in the long run. And we're talking really long run, you know, for the, uh, for for getting getting the goal, which is premium yeah. cigar exemption. That's the that's the right. goal is the premium cigar exemption. And sometimes, while no, you're not advocating for tobacco twenty one. You're not fighting for tobacco twenty one. But right. what you're doing is you're focusing efforts on premium cigar exemption. And sometimes people take that to mean that you're actually fighting for tobacco twenty one, which is just not the case. Right. And there was an unfortunate headline. I think Cigar Aficionado ran it because I had a statement that said, well, we understand and support the agency's efforts to, you know, get rid of youth tobacco access. That's important. However, premium cigars are different and there is no issue with youth smoking premium cigars. So we need full consideration for premium cigars when you're considering this legislative action. Yeah. And I think that when they saw, you know, while we understand and support, I think their headline said something like, you know, uh, it was back when it was IPCPR backs to what are the bill of the tobacco 21, which was misleading. wasn't exactly the case. We didn't support the bill. We never did. We never signed on or supported it or, or promoted it in any way, shape or form. Right. It was just, look, we understand your efforts. We support those efforts. We're not fighting because to your point, you know, what the hell are you paying us for? Here's why you're paying us is because we're involved in this on a day-to-day basis. And Absolutely. we're very much experts in terms of who we need to talk to when and how and everything else, while we're close to where we're at. Yeah. We would not be to the point where we're at right now to have the ability to work with the FDA and the White House to build this regulatory wall around ourselves if we came out and we were just absolutely no to Tobacco 21. We're not having a conversation with you. It's this. It's done. It's dead. We're going publicly. We're going to go out all over the place publicly and tell people how stupid you are for even considering this. We don't have a negotiation table to go back to in order to do exactly what we're doing right now to save right. the industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, so let's let's breathe, let's breathe, and let's move into 
let's move Wooza. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, Scott and our viewers, we've we've got the big Lebowski on in the background here, so we're constantly. Oh, fantastic! We're, okay. we're the abides, my friend. Being distracted by the big Dude Lebowski on abides. the on the, yes. on the big screen here in the cigar shop here at Sodi's. Absolutely. Uh, but let's move into this week's smoke. Can we get the Jesus on the show? What's that? Can we get the Jesus on the show? Absolutely. I think I would love to get the Jesus on I the show. I would love. I'll work on that. Yeah. I would love that. Um, so let's move into this week's smokabulary words. And this week's smokabulary word, as always, is brought to you by A.J. Fernandez. Born and raised in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The day-to-day operations at Tabacalera A.J. Fernandez are managed under the watchful eye of Mr. A.J. Fernandez himself in order to ensure superior quality. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of premium cigars provides blend, strength, and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer, Mm. whether it's New World, Dias de Gloria, San Latano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from A.J. Fernandez. So, guys, every week we talk about a word that really only us cigar people know about. And this week's word is chavetta. Garrett, do you know this word? I do know this word. So this is the cute, This is the knife that it's this broad, uh, curved knife that the cigar rollers use to properly shape and cut the leaves that typically uh, that go on the outside, the wrapper leaf of the tobacco. And Chavetta, actually, I didn't know this until today. It actually literally translates to the word key. So which I'm not I'll have to find out someday from from somebody in the know why why they chose to call the cigar knife after the same word as key. I don't know that, but but that is this week's smokabulary word. Maybe it's the key to finishing off the cigar, right? There you go. It's the key to finishing off the cigar. Yeah, and even though it means – so key uh, in Spanish is really llave, as we think yeah. of it. Is a key? Yeah. That's llave. But um, uh, chaveta is uh, – it's a different meaning of key. Not, not like a, a lock and key, but like a key to something. So okay. As it okay. puts a, something together, it's the – yeah, I dig it. Yeah, I dig it. So, guys, that is this week's smokabulary word. And now we move on to numero de los muertos. <laughs> All right, guys. This week, the number is 21. 21. Since 1989. It's not, toba- it's not tobacco 21, is it? Because I don't <laughs> yeah. want to talk about that anymore. No. <laughs> I, uh, I tried to find something related to Scott's past with uh, radiology and imaging. Oh, wow. Yeah, dude, I dug deep, but there was no yeah, interesting did. death statistics. Like, one person has died from an MRI since 1971. So, I... You know, I kind of jumped off that ship. Did they have like a piece of metal in their belly? And when they went in, it just pulled <laughs> it out and killed them. That's weird. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a sad story that I read into. It was a 12 year old boy. And, yeah. So, yeah, we don't need to go over that. I, yeah. I didn't want to. <laughs> moving yeah, on. Moving on. Yeah, moving on. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, the number is 21 since the year 1989. Um, uh, okay. Uh, so, since. 1989, 21 people have died from this. Correct. Globally? And, uh, uh, North America. North America. Um, and it is, uh, so I'll give you, it's 19, uh, no, excuse me, it's 18 men, two women, 
and one child. Wow, you've got like serious breakdowns on the numbers this week. Yep. Wow. Okay. So eighty nine. Um, eighty nine. So, so I mean, radiation poisoning is only again like I think of something new. Yeah, and since... I moved away from your industry, so I didn't want. Okay. To, you know, yeah. So okay, uh, yep. that's not related. It, yeah, I was going to say maybe the uh, the injection. You know. Oh yeah. The, yeah. the contrast yeah, injection. No, the contrast. Yeah. I looked, I looked at all those numbers. So it's not that. No, there's so it's crazy not, it's people not related think, to this. At yeah. All. No. 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 Okay. Nope. So move completely out of that realm. 21 since 1989. So something changed in 1989. No, it's really when they started keeping track. Okay. And okay. when this particular. Uh, so is this related to a product that came on the market in 1989? No. Okay. Um, I will, we will call this an activity. activity. An activity. Is it a recreational activity? Uh, I wouldn't call it a recreational activity. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like um, it's too early for this, but I mean, more of my brain went with something like eating Tide Pods. But <laughs> is, is this like a backyard, you know, wrestling? Is this like you know, people? Oh, backyard wrestling—that's a really good one. And no, but yeah. I would keep going, kind of on that. Oh, let's on, see. Um, in in that vein, so this is a uh, uh, takes place at an event that uh, happens all over North America, especially the U.S. and Canada. I know. Like any, this, this is totally like beer out. drinking contest or something Yeah, it's like a that. beer is drinking it, contest. It is not beer drinking. It, this okay. just came, popped into my head. I have no idea why, but is it people drowning in the dunk tank? No, that's oddly if you, specific. If you, if you drown... Well, in, yeah, I see where you're going with that, like at a carnival, at an event, if you're in the dunk tank. If you drown in a dunk tank, I think it's on you. 18 men women, and one child have, have died doing this activity. Yep, 18 men, two women, and a 12-year-old boy. Is it an activity that takes place at a uh, something like a carnival or a fair or something? It can. It can. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, I like Jim's. Is it skydiving? Oh no! Oh, it is yeah, not skydiving. It's not skydiving. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about like some of like those those squirrel things that people jump off of or hang gliding or something like that. Oh yeah, but, the, the wing. So you said it happens at like a larger event, like a carnival or something like that, or state right. fairs. Or... I'm going to keep steering you a little bit. This is a spectator sport. Monster truck rallies. Mm, no. Oh, NASCAR, NASCAR events. No sir. Tractor pulls. No sir. Uh, rodeo. It is rodeo. Oh. Rodeo. Yeah. Um, uh, they. Uh, what is it? The. Uh, the is, it, uh, is it rodeo clowns? Nope. Is it the uh, the whatever it is the roping of the calves or whatever? No. The wrangling. It's not. Or what is it the bull riding? It is the bull riding. Really? Yep. So, so, uh, so statistically speaking, <laughs> we we love that term around here. We yes, do. it's important. Uh, uh, rodeo um, and specifically uh, bull riding is the most dangerous sport uh, per contestant. So um, twenty in one thousand or uh, twenty in in a hundred thousand contestants um, have a life changing injury or death. Where in the next closest is the NFL, yeah, at point eight. Per 100,000. Wow. So it goes from 20 down to 0.8. Yeah. That's a significant jump. Ow. It is. Yep. Man. So uh, bull riding. Yep. Wow. Well, even, even so, I mean, 
it's da- it's a dangerous sport, but I mean, uh, it's you know, you never want to see twenty one people die from any anything, but but uh, you're, I mean, again, statistically speaking, <laughs> your risk is still pretty low. It is. It's. I mean, yeah. your your risk of dying from riding a bull is less than from you know going to the grocery store, but. But you know, well, I mean, hell, eleven kids, you know, die in car accidents every day from texting and driving. And stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I mean, you know, dangerous things. You know, you you do them responsibly, and then you, you know, then you move on and find some other fun, dangerous thing to do. Yeah, that's right. So that <laughs> is this week's numero de los muertos. So Scott, yes. Some non-cigar related questions. If you could hear the thoughts of one living person for 10 minutes, who would it be and why? Wow, that's a fascinating question. Isn't it? Wow, if I could hear the thoughts for one living person for 10 minutes. Um huh. That's man, I don't even know if I have a I mean, the dumb, I, I shouldn't say it that way because, you know, this is for posterity and I just see that some of my friends popped on, but I was going to say, I was going to say the easy one would be to say my wife just because I feel like that would make my you know, marriage so much easier. But, nope, not um, never. Yeah, it, <laughs> right I, no, except for the 10 minutes. I mean, it would probably just make me more confused, to be honest. I don't want to know what's, nope. I, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't have the mental capacity great, to understand what great question. I think that I would probably, you know what I would actually would be fascinating. I mean, this just popped into my head because you mentioned this beforehand uh, when you're talking about the the Packers losing, I would love to be able to listen to either Kyle Shanahan or Andy Reid while they're coaching in the Super Bowl. Wow. That would be fascinating to sit there and listen to just as a spectator. Yeah. That's a great answer. Oh, similar to Alan Rubin. Kylie's got a good answer. Also, sports writer Dennis Rodman. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of those that no. Dennis Rodman. Kylie, this that just underscores why you're one of my favorite people. <laughs> I'm too scared to oh under, to hear what's going on in his head. Should that's, I go? Should I go hang out with Kim Jong this weekend? That's that's scary. <laughs> that's scary. Kylie's a hell of a lot braver than I think anyone. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, Scott, if you were about to get into a fight. What soundtrack music would come on? <laughs> soundtrack. So like from a movie? Yeah, if you were in if you were if you were in a in a movie about your life and you were a, and there was a big fight scene coming up, what soundtrack m- music would come on? Uh yeah, so one of the ones that I loved that I actually listened to the track when uh, I would work out and stuff is it's off the 300 soundtrack. And it's called to victory, but it's the one. It's the end of the soundtrack that adds like some, you know, more kind of like rock and, and yeah. guitar things into it. Yeah. It's hardcore. It's fast paced. I feel like that would be a good song to listen to when uh, get into a fight. Love nice. it. I love it. Um, so if you were, or sorry, uh, choose one of the following. I know what he's going to choose. I think I do too. But it, and it's a popular answer. But you could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You okay. could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman, or you could score a goal in a hockey game as the goalie. Yeah, I'm going to go with the goalie scoring a goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I would have put that, a lot of money on that. That is the most popular answer. That yep. is def- by far the most popular answer. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so rare. It's so unheard of. Well, Pecorino just did it uh, uh, like last week, I think. Yeah, it was last the week. week. before, yeah. Yeah, I love watching goalie score. It's, yeah. There's something about it. It's empty net or not. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I love it. 
Um, so these are these are questions that we usually reserve for um, brand owners and manufacturers, but I think they definitely tie in with you as well. Um, so if you could give one piece of advice to new cigar consumers, what would it be? Talk to your retailer about your palate and why you're smoking to get the best possible first experience ever. That's great. That is really good. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, because that that first experience makes such a huge difference in 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 whether or not they're going to become uh, uh, you know a part of the premium cigar culture. And yeah, it, it could make For- or break. Absolutely. For me, when I, I mean, I was, you know, obviously enjoying it beforehand, but what really, really, really got me to truly love it and understand it on a different level is Phil Ledbetter at Up Down Cigar in Chicago. Oh, yeah. yeah. I used to go there for uh, every year when I was radiology. There's a huge conference that goes on there every year uh, right after Thanksgiving. And so I'd always, I found Up Down and started walking there from the hotel. I went there one night and like all, hey, what's new? I'm, I'm kind of new to this. I've only been doing it a few years, still trying to experiment. So Phil took the time and walked me through, and then he's like, well, why don't you try this one? He's like, introduced me to the Tatuaje J21, and my buddies still buy uh, boxes, four or five boxes of that a year. Yeah. A year. Um, and it was really what opened me up. And not that I hadn't enjoyed the cigars beforehand. I still have a, a really good uh, affinity for some of those early cigars that I found and, and, and enjoyed. That right there changed my entire perspective on cigars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, and we, this is a question that we know this is something you actually do on a regular basis, but what's the one piece of advice that you, that you find yourself giving to cigar retailers more than any other? The one piece of advice to give to cigar retailers. Well, that's interesting because for me in the position, it's really, um, engage with us so we can, particularly when it comes to state issues, but engage with us as much as possible so that we can, you know, going back to the whole Jerry Maguire thing, help us help you. Uh, but I think just as a general sense, I think too, is, is, um, is, is always be learning, particularly I think from adjacent industries, because I think there's a lot of things we can pull from and learn from like the independent bookstores and why they've seen a resurgence, even in the age of Amazon, um, just constantly be looking for, for, from advice and from other industries in which we can enhance the cigar experience for the consumers. Yeah. Well, Scott, you had me at Young Guns two references. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a, I got a really good friend of mine where basically our entire relationship is just nothing but we talk to each other in movie quotes. So I love it. Yeah, I, I think everybody's. Uh, if you don't, you should have that one friend in your life. Where yeah, exactly. You is, is yeah. Well, he's also a great friend. He used to be the head lobbyist for the Beer Institute, and now he's the head of uh, alcohol policy for Amazon. So he's uh, someone very good to know because he definitely knows his beer. Nice. Well, and you would have got this. Re- a lot of people don't get this reference when I say it, but I'll say it sometimes, and people look at me just like, "What are you saying? You guys see the size of that chicken?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was, in fact, Dermot Mulrooney who played yeah. that character. Yeah, dude. Hey, Keeper Sutherland's cracked out voice when he's cheers my butterfly. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, that's a great scene. Oh, it's a beautiful scene. Love it. Yeah. So one question that we always ask to people on the show, uh, which is a little little bit of a strange question for you, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is if you could give one piece of advice to the PCA, what would it be? So, and I guess I'll, I'll ask it in a different way for you. When you first came in, you know, because when you come into any new job, especially if you're in a position of guidance and leadership, you identify, you know, you build your relationships and then you start to identify mm-hmm. things 
where maybe the target is being missed. Mm-hmm. Can you think of what were the first one or two things that you that you identified when you came into the role where you said this I think we can definitely this is the like the key item that I think we can do better. Uh, the one main thing was communications. Okay. Uh, and really getting things out to the the retailers as members and also the manufacturers. Um, and so that's why I said we, we had to kind of reinvest. A lot of the sort of the technologies and infrastructure that was there just was not really, they hadn't really had a need to, but they hadn't really focused on really investing in some of that stuff. So we've got new systems in place and we've been getting better and better at reaching out. We've got two brand new newsletters that we're putting out that go over all of our legislative activities and then also just, you know, content as well as association update activities as well. That's going out on a consistent basis, uh, which you guys probably saw the first one that went out a couple uh, mm-hmm. days ago. Uh, you'll get the filibuster, which is the, the federal update that will go out next week as well. Uh, but I think that's kind of the one of the main things that I noticed is that we need to do a much better job of consistently communicating with our members. Um, that also drove the need for, I think, um, an enhanced magazine experience, which we took from and the tobacconist also, you know, folding as well, kind of precipitated that too. But What's that's the, been the major thing. But I think to your other point, as far as advice for the PCA, I would say for for both, I think membership uh, and then on on mass as well, even for you know board, et cetera, is number one. Uh, continue to be involved. The the passion that that a lot of people bring to the industry is great. I know sometimes it doesn't manifest itself in sometimes some of the most productive conversations, but at the end of the day, that passion really is what fuels uh, what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, but get involved, uh, and then the second part too is. Um, um, be open-minded in terms of, of where we can go with some of these changes. And that just because it's been 88 years and been done a certain way, doesn't mean we have to always do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's important to adapt. And yeah. And what has the response been for the newsletter and the magazine? So the newsletter is brand new. It was good. I mean, it got really good open rates um, and and click through rates for being a newsletter. I mean, a lot of our state alerts get really, really good. I mean, it's like 80, 90% click through rates and like 60% plus open rates for the alerts and action items that we get out there. But the open rate for the newsletter was good. For the magazine, uh, you know, I think pretty much there's been a lot of uh, really positive uh, you know, feedback on it. Steve Sacco was sharing the review that we did of, of the Sober Mason Brulee. And, and the point that we're striving that is to say, guys, we're not doing reviews because reviews exist everywhere. And that's not really what we want to be in the business of doing as the PCA. We really need to provide uh, value for our retailers to let them know some, about some of these new products and then provide value for the manufacturers of saying, how would you sell this? What are some selling tips? And what are ways in which when you're engaging with a customer coming in and saying, oh, hey, here's a Sober Mesa Brulee. Here's a way to speak about it if you've never had the chance to smoke it. If you have a sales associate that's only a part-time person, look, read this article on Sober Mesa Brulee. So that somebody's coming in and you're able to talk to them for a couple minutes to understand this is a lighter cigar, but it's got a lot of different interesting flavors. Um, and it's got this really, really incredible natural sweetness to it. It was, It's unbelievable, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, or the first one that we did was the Ogre. And I was lucky enough to get a Lancero from Tom Lazuka. Whoa. Really interesting wow. cigar and just this yeah. interesting, beautiful, you know, creaminess that's to it and in, in, uh, you know, this medium-bodied note. And so being able to, I think, get that across where sometimes, you know, the, especially the sales associates, the owners and things like that, I think have a chance to smoke a lot more than some of these others that are, might be part-time workers. But 
a more informed sales staff is going to perform better for you. And so that's kind of why we got that there and, and we're doing that. And I think a lot of people have responded well to the layout of it. Our publishers do a great job. Um, and then the types of information that we're trying to get out in it as well with things like the sales and service one that we just did going into different processes that people have. And then also one of the things I enjoy doing is again, looking at those adjacent industries to maybe see what are some of the lessons that premium cigar retailers might be able to take from it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so let's move into this week's notable smokables. Mm. Um, so my first one is uh, I was uh, I bought it from the humidor here on Saturday or Sunday, rather, uh, watching a little bit of football. And it was the Southern Draw Rose of Sharon Lancero. Mm. Uh, I've been a fan of Rose of Sharon blend for a while. It was the first time that I actually tried the Lancero. And um, it's I will say this. I love the Rose of Sharon. The Lancero is personally not my favorite iteration of that blend or some other Vitolas that I like more, but uh, that Rosa Sharon is definitely um, huh. one of my favorite Connecticut cigars of the last few years. Amen. Um, I, my, just, it was so stupid. It was my first uh, block by Dissident Cigars, and uh, I can't wait to get my hands on more. Yeah. Just such a great, and uh, thanks to Matt for that one. Yeah, it's uh, I, I finally reached out to uh, uh, one of my favorite retailers and bought a few of the different uh, new distant blends that Ben Holt put out through Oveja Negra, and uh, props to him because they they did a good job with uh, rebooting yeah, they that did. brand. Um, Scott, is there anything interesting and fun that you've smoked in the last couple of weeks? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I uh, actually met a retailer at a local store here last week and went and got a, a handful of sticks. Got the Magic Toast from Alec Bradley, uh, Leaf, Oscar the Maduro. Mm. Um, I think I uh, also had went. I did a little bit of a throwback though to Rocky Patel decade. Um, oh, nice. And then uh, not the brulee because I, I that was my Thanksgiving treat that I had for myself. I deep fried turkey every year, so I had the silver race of brulee when I went out and deep fried the turkey and. You have to stay out there and monitor it. And so I just had the brulee while I was sitting out there and, and that was phenomenal. But I had the sober mesa, the not the brulee, but just the regular sober mesa, and that was really good too. Nice deep fryer turkey frozen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I just drop it in and just yeah. see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Right on the just right on the, the wood deck also. <laughs> really oh yeah, the dry the drier the wood, the better. I mean that totally. really gives the turkey that charred flavor. The, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh how about that cigar in the PCA are not responsible for any damage to your home? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> uh, my last uh, uh, notable this week was uh, of an older um, uh, uh, Roma Craft Intemperance B.A. Lonsdale the 6.5 by 44 it was from 2014 it was a gift from uh, my friend Mickey and uh, Mickey thank you for that cigar it, uh, those those definitely age well uh, and still have uh, still have the characteristics even after um, six years you know sitting in the humidor and a uh, very very nice cigar, and I uh, my for my last one it's uh, oh yeah, you know just a little Don Pepin. Uh, I don't know is this a new release? No, no, the Cuban classic. That's uh, the... No, it's the uh, Cuban. Is it classic? Yeah, I think is so. It? Okay, yeah. The, uh, the black label. I just call it the, the black, black. The Don yeah. Pepin black label. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Spice for days on that cigar. All day. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such a characteristic Pepin cigar. Yep. Really, really fantastic. 
Um, so guys, uh, for those of you who've been watching and listening, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We want to give you a few notes of some things we have coming up in the near future. Next week on January 28th, we are going to talk to Emmett and Zane from Blind Man's Puff, mm-hmm. uh, my old buddies back in the day when I was with Blind Man's Puff. And we are going to, I, I just shipped off some cigars to them today. Uh, with some uh, with with the bands removed, and uh, they're going to ship some cigars to us, and we're going to do some tasting notes on the show, and and uh, and talk about some of the things that we're excited to see from the cigar industry coming up in 2020. Uh, and then the following week, on uh, we're into February already. After that, so on February 4th, uh, we're very excited to have Glenn Loop, who is the director of the Cigar Rights of America organization. He's going to be live on the show. Very excited to talk to him. And mm-hmm. I have a little bit, uh, and I don't want to give it away, uh, but I have a little bit of a surprise twist for that show while 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 Glenn Loop is on the show uh, that you guys will not want to miss because uh, it's. I have a feeling it's something that has not been done uh, live on a cigar show before. So, and uh, I will remain fully clothed. Just sorry to disappoint, but uh, that's not the surprise twist that, Are you you have, a, that you may have been hoping. For. Write a bowl. I might write a ball. Oh, maybe. Dress and drag and dance the hula. (laughs) I might do that too. Uh, But no, there will be a little surprise twist uh, and excited to talk to him about uh, what the CRA is all about, what it means and, you know, how we as consumers can, uh, can get involved. Um, So Scott, give everybody a little bit of a closing thought on, on um, what's coming in 2020, what you're excited for and where consumers can find out more about the PCA. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just going back to a little bit what I was saying earlier, what I'm really excited about 2020 is that we've got a really good legislative agenda ahead of us, and we're doing a lot of good work and putting it in to, to really – I really think we could do something special and unprecedented here for the premium cigar industry in terms of getting some regulatory uh, relief and, and allowing the industry to operate from a framework of, of certainty – and uh, you know, lack of, not not having any fear of, of any new regulations coming down that's going to try to crush it or anything else. So I'm really really excited about that. Really optimistic about that. Uh, I'm really excited to kind of see the the new shapes and forms that uh, that both our show is going to take on, but also some of the things that manufacturers are going to do themselves for uh, for new 2020 stuff, and then also leading to 21. And then also, what are the stuff that we're going to be able to implement? Getting more and more retailer input about how we evolve and change in 2020 to bring about uh, better value within 21 as well. So yep. those are like, I'm, like I said, I'm always an optimist, and we're always looking for ways in which we can uh, get the next win and and, and provide more value. So um, really looking forward to to really just sort of an exciting year and a lot of challenges. But quite frankly, that's kind of what makes it exciting is because I see a way for us to really surmount these challenges and come out the other side in a way that it provides sort of this framework that everybody can have a sustainable growth. And for us to focus on how is it that we can really grow consumer interest and appreciation and love for this premium cigar industry. Mm. Uh, and so for consumers, uh, really the ask is cigaraction.org. And just go put that information in because that really helps us in terms of us being able to reach out to consumers and engage you all when we have issues at the local state levels as well as federal levels. And I will say that consumers did help us. Uh, there was a tax issue that came up a little while ago. We engaged consumers in that, and it was at a federal level, and it was this weird convoluted tax that would have raised cigar prices all over the place, depending upon state laws and things like that. 
our consumers came in and wrote letters by the thousands along with our retailers and we were able to kill it in committee. So right. you do have an impact and, and that, that went nowhere just because of our campaign and the way the, the consumers responded. So please go there, please get involved because every single letter, every single thing that you guys do that, that helps our message does in fact help and it really amplifies our voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. We appreciate it. And uh, Scott, we can't thank you enough for giving us some of your time this evening and teaching yeah. teaching consumers more about what the PCA means and what it's all about for us as consumers and, uh, you know, how we can uh, just stay supportive of the industry and stay supportive of the culture Educated. and supportive of our uh, our brick and mortar retailers. It's really important and we yep. thank you for it. Fantastic. Yeah. And please. Uh, and the other thing, too, please, consumers can continue to visit your brick and mortar uh, retailers consistently. Uh, really good. You know, shop small and, you know, and smoke big. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, well, guys, uh, as always, we really appreciate you watching. We appreciate you listening. If you have any questions, as always, you can hit us up on HowAboutThatCigar.com. Send us an email directly from the website. You can always leave us questions and comments on Facebook as well. And until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks,